When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ayo, welcome into the CHGO White Sox podcast presented by PointsBet. Use promo code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. Welcome into Studio A of our CHGO offices here in the West Loop of Chicago. I'm Sean Anderson, the host of the CHGO White Sox podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. And alongside me is the full CHGO White Sox crew because it's the offseason. We got Vinny Duber, our CHGO White Sox beat writer in the Elvis Costello shirt. You can follow him on Twitter at Vinny Duber. And the man in the middle is Herb Lawrence. Hello. You can follow him on Twitter at Ecknerwall23, rocking the CHGO Skyline shirt, which I think is probably the cleanest design that we have yet in the CHGO locker. It's my favorite. Yeah, that one in the uh, new CHGO script where it's kind of the old Bulls uh, little script font, but it's just CHGO. There's a red and black one, but there's also a black and white one. You just uh, got yours, right? For you Sox fans. I did get one, and it's fantastic. And uh, Alex Rude pump jumping in saying, a great picture choice for the thumbnail. If you are just listening to the podcast, it's the picture of Vinny in the press room. It is. Okay. The picture of me in the in the conference uh, the conference room over at uh, the rate with your classmates Jose Abreu, Luis Robert, and I think Looks, AJ Pollock. Makes Tim, Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson is there, cheating yeah. off of your paper, <laughs> Vinny. Or or he knows it. or he looked and to see what I had and he knows that I got it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we will be talking about some greats. We'll be going back to school today and we'll be grading the White Sox offense, defense, starters, relievers, and coaching we weren't really sure what to put it as I wasn't sure if managing or coaching was the right phrase there so we went with coaching just mm-hmm. to leave it as a, 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 a not oblivious general, general. Get a little yeah. bit more general general thank you, know. you uh for for that uh and then what's up who's your daddy in, in the chat as well uh rusted Mr. C thanks for hanging out with us but let's uh waste no more time uh, we'll be going through those five categories and giving them a grade a plus through f Minus? So F plus no, doesn't there's exist. There's no F minus. It's okay. just F. Fail. I'm, I'm figuring this out. I, just, hey, guys, I didn't get too many Fs, you know? You just fail. I got a couple, so I know. There's no <laughs> F plus. Right. But, Mom, I got 58. Mm. It still didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be just giving letter grades A plus through F. And uh, let's start with the offense here. Uh, and Steven's got the, the graphic and everything. Uh, we'll be giving you report cards. Uh, probably my least favorite day uh, of any school year, and I'm glad I don't get report cards anymore. Uh, but let's start with the offense. Vinny, we'll start with you. What grade are you giving the offense this year? I don't think you can give it anything but an F. Uh, this was a, uh, in my opinion, and I think a lot of people's opinion, certainly it seemed to be Rick Hahn's opinion, that the biggest contributing factor to the White Sox uh, disappointing as much as they did this season was the offense. Uh, this was a lineup that was built to hit a lot, a lot of home runs. It hit almost... I mean, well, not no home runs, but it hit <laughs> very, very few home runs compared to the rest of the league. Uh, this was a team built for power. It did not show any of that power uh, as we keep bringing up the uh, uh, home run leader, Andrew Vaughn, didn't even get to 20, uh, all just at 17 there. So um, a very, very poor showing by the in the power department. And though they had plenty of singles this year, led the league in that category, I believe, very high batting average as a team. So it's not like, uh, you know, it was all strikeouts all the time. Uh, It was a situation for basically the first five months where they couldn't score any runs. Uh, You know, as many guys as they put on base, they seem to just come up empty time and time again. Uh, No support for what was a pretty good pitching staff uh, for the vast majority of the season. Once they got going a little bit more in the run scoring department in September, it was too little too late, as uh, obviously we saw there. But um, uh, the, the lack of home runs was the biggest 
problem for this team this year. Uh, and to go along with it, they couldn't turn the hits that they were getting into enough runs to make up for it. Herb, what's your grade? I'm going to go with a D. The only reason I am not doing an F is because of Jose Abreu's year where he changed his game and didn't hit home runs, but he got on base the most times that he has in his uh, illustrious career. And also Aloy Jimenez coming back for that second half where he's one of the best hitters in baseball. But otherwise, this team is garbage. As Vinny had said, like bottom of the pack, I think 23rd in home runs, uh, last in walks, and walk percentage of 6.3. Middle, like they didn't strike out a lot, only 20% of the time they struck out. But the isolated power is one of the lowest in the league. And it wasn't like they were just getting unlucky because their BABIP is one of the highest in the league. I think it's fourth in the league. So when they were putting balls in play, they were just getting good hits. And there was no, like, uh, oh, man, oh, shucks. This, the team is out there just uh, throwing leather against the White Sox. What can you do? They're, we're not getting lucky today. The White Sox got very lucky for the balls they put in play. So with the performance they had this year, with Andrew Vaughn being the team leader at 17 home runs on the year, it can be nothing but an F, but I had to have the two guys who represented, I think, throughout, except for Aloy being hurt, to raise the grade a little bit more. I would probably, you know, if I had to change it, put it to a D minus. But, yeah, these guys failed pretty much across the board. But I'll give them a D because I'm going to be nice to his offense a little bit because they did, I think, were one of the highest on ba- or one of the highest batting average. And Jose Abreu. You got to give him something as a 300 hitter, a 375 on base guy. Yeah, and, and career high in walks for him, too. So, you know, the team struggled to find walks, but Jose Abreu was finding them uh, this year in 2022. Uh, Anthony Oderwald, uh, just mentioning this, uh, Albert Pujols out-homered us. Uh, maybe not as a uh, – for his career, absolutely. 149 <laughs> home runs to, like, 702. Uh, but, yeah, he would have led the White Sox at home runs this year in 2022. Uh, you mentioned 149 home runs, Vinny, this year for the White Sox. That is the lowest since 2013. The leader on the 2013 White Sox was Adam Dunn with 34. Second, Alejandro de Aza with 17. Uh, Diane Viciedo, third. Connor Gillespie, fourth. And Paul Konerko, 37-year-old Paul Konerko, fifth with 12. So, you know, 37-year-old Paul Konerko uh, is worse than 35-year-old Jose Abreu. Glad we can, you know, get that. Like anyone had any questions. Um, But, yeah, a a very rough power year for the Sox. I'm going to give him a D-. I think... Clearly, the walk percentage that you bring up and the strikeout percentage is the biggest thing. The fact that the White Sox lost, I think, about 3% uh, from their walk rate. It was fourth best in the majors, like you talked about, then plummeted to worst in the majors. Went from about 9.6 to, I think, about 6.3. Their strikeout rate went from about 22.7 to 20.8. So you look at the actual numbers there, and their actual strikeout-to-walk ratio got worse. So, yes, they struck out less, but they didn't walk enough to even make that matter. So, exactly. you know, it, it was a it was a step back in that department too. Um, heart hit the, the White Sox still hit the ball hard, but I think the main issue and the reason why I'm giving him D minus is just because I do think this new ball had a lot of effects on the White Sox, and it's mainly just because they were so opposite field oriented uh, oriented um, last year and this year. Last year they were fifth in uh, opposite field uh, hitting. This year they were fourth, um, and I just think that that power was seen that where they tried to go to those right and left center field gaps and it just wouldn't stretch. Um, it wouldn't get out there. And it really only felt like they were having power to those lines if they were only hitting it truly in the, the corners and, and down those foul lines. So um, it, it really goes back to the first series where we saw Tim Anderson and Luis Robert hit home runs to left center against the Mariners. And it just felt like we didn't get a ton of those games. And it felt like the White Sox still kept trying to go to that well um, of hitting opposite field, but just weren't able to find that power. So I think hitting wise with the injuries and with their lack of improvement, I mean, even in April, Frank Minichino said, we're getting slider to death. Hmm. They really never made that adjustment. So I do just say D minus because the ball didn't help them, but everything else was bad. (laughs) <laughs> well, and I think, you know, if we're, if we're taking the grading metaphor here, certainly there's got to be a lot of weight, in my opinion, given to the offense because what have we been saying all year long and, and now since the season has ended, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, the deficiencies in, in, in other areas, be, be it defensively or, uh, you know, in, in some of the stuff that we're going to talk about, I'm sure, when we get to the coaching category. Uh, 
those things would be have been covered up completely uh, if it were if if the White Sox did the offense that they were supposed to do this year. Uh, you know, if the ball's going over the fence, it doesn't matter if you're running into that goofy ass triple play. <laughs> right. Um, you know, you can take your time on that one. You can run around the bases as fast as you can. You can have a slow trot. Uh, just take your time getting through. Uh, this is a a rough stat that I didn't I didn't realize from Tom Johnson. Uh, White Sox scored three runs or less in 82 games this year. Um, trying to figure that out. Yeah, 82. I'm um, trying to figure out uh, if I can get the numbers on that and where they rank uh, in the majors as it uh, correlates to scoring three runs or less. But, I mean, there were so many games. I mean, even go back to the uh, the Tigers and uh, White Sox series where they dominated that series game in and game out, and then they had Dylan Cease on the mound, and Dylan Cease gives them this great outing, and Bo Brisky holds them to one run. And it's just like these these generic right-handers can just All come in, and as long as they have a high fastball that they can locate and a slider low and away, you're going to have, you know, five easy innings against the White Sox. I mean, we'll get to the grade for the coaches later because I think part of that is the coaches getting the team ready for who they're facing. And it seemed like Groundhog Day with the guy that you've never heard of in your life before who threw right-handed and happened to have a slider. Man, it's going to be a tough day for the White Sox out there. Good luck. Um, and we'll see if they can change that uh, this year, and, and we'll talk about the coaching uh, a little bit later. And how much do you think of this – reflects like the D minus reflects the players and you know looking back at 2021 like do we think and maybe this is more for coaching but like how much of the blame or can we even figure out blame uh for this like is it how much of, of, of the hitting grade is on the true hitters themselves it, in my opinion it would be the vast majority mm-hmm. if you know I mean seriously like 90 percent or more uh, like because here's the thing we asked that question all year long. What were, were they getting a different message? Was something happening that was different than the years past? And the answers that we got were that no, they, they were getting a good message, uh, you know, and, and we didn't really get a, an answer too much to were they, were they listening to it. But mm-hmm. um, in the, at the end of the day, these guys are professionals. They're here for a reason. Uh, I'm not saying they can't be coached, but they should know how to make adjustments. They're major league baseball players. They yeah. should have gotten – this, uh, you know, you know, this shouldn't be surprising to them. The pitchers are going to do this. Uh, and we didn't see a change all year long. And I think um, we heard that uh, the, the biggest problem was, was the approach that they were taking, was the fact that the, the power wasn't coming, that they, things that worked in the past were not working for them this time around, and nothing changed. The coaches knew that, and certainly, you know, they're not blameless, but these guys are professional baseball players and professional hitters, mm-hmm. and they were not hitting. And they were not seemingly taking the steps that they needed to take to even try to try to figure out why they weren't hitting. They were just going at it with the same way. We saw them chasing pitches out of the strike zone until the very end of the season. Right. And that's what I would say. The hitters get majority of the grade for me because I think once you hit the major leagues, a hitting coach is nice, but you're not seeking counsel from the hitting coach. Maybe if you're in a slump. But you know what your swing is. You know what you've done throughout your career. And it's usually on you to get the job done as far as adjustments. You know, the hidden coach can get say something in your ear. But I think more pitching coaches are what matter in baseball the most because they actually have some skin in the game. And they're, you know, going through a game plan with the pitcher and the catcher and uh, assistant bullpen catcher or bullpen uh, coach too. So I think the hitting coach, while it's helpful – doesn't really have like a lot of stake in the hitters actually doing well for themselves and I know that people want to fire Frank Minichino but for the most part those that's on the players if they they listen to Frank Minichino and they failed after a while you just like I'm gonna wrap this up we talked about Paul Canerco earlier that man used to change things constantly constantly and ask anybody Frank used to change things all these guys, when we went to fire Greg Walker, none of the players said it was Greg Walker's fault. They're like, we're not doing the job. Don't blame Greg Walker. Hitting coach in Major League Baseball, for me, is not a position where you should get applauded for doing for the hitters doing well or get denigrated for the hitters not doing well. It's just, I think, as a counsel, a guy that can get you back to where you were before, but not necessarily a guy that's going to re-engineer your swing unless you're Walt Riniak and doing that with Frank Thomas. Well, and I'll, I'll offer some more insight, too, that I know I offered when it happened earlier in the year, but it stuck with me throughout the year. Tony La Russa, uh, you know, at one of the times where he was being questioned about 
are these hitters listening to to what the coaching staff has to say? He said he pointed out the difference between pitchers and hitters, and he said pitchers are always looking for something different. They're always looking for the next big thing. They'll sit in a big group and talk about how to change the grip, you know, a millimeter to see what it has. They're always experimenting. Whereas hitters, they listen to you and they go, "Okay, that's nice." You know, <laughs> and they and they basically go back to what they've been doing their entire lives because again, they're at the major league level. That means they succeeded for a number of years in hitting the way that they've always known how to hit. I can understand where it would be difficult to go about it, but doing that part of the job is adjusting. And we didn't see that from the White Sox this year, and I think the players uh, are the ones who, who deserve the bulk of the blame. Yeah, we mentioned Frank Minichino a little bit. We'll get we'll save him uh, for coaching and some of the stats that you know we could we could try to push towards hitting, and maybe uh, they were getting the wrong message. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, they were getting shut down in April. They were getting shut down in May. They were getting shut down in June. They were getting shut down in July. Um, they had some life in August and September. So I mean, for the large part. The players just weren't showing up. Uh, let's look at the defense here. And I do want to share, um, just going back to Tom Johnson's uh, thing where the Sox had 82 games where they scored three runs or less. Um, the White Sox had 82 games where they scored three runs or less. They were 24 and 58. They had 80 games where they scored four runs or more. They were 57 and 23. But that winning percentage is, is 20th best in, in the majors. So, like, the if, when you score four runs or more, they had the 20th best win percentage. Wow. So, even 57 and 23 isn't even that great. So, like, they struggled because of defense and pitching as well. So let's grade the defense. Uh, to recap, we got D-minus for my offense. Uh, Herb's giving the White Sox a D for their offense in 2022. Vinny is giving them an F. Defense. Vinny, we'll start with you. Yeah, I don't think it can be anything but an F, and that's more sp- – <laughs> and, and here's the thing. I think – I'm sure we're going to find it when we get to the bullpen too. Defensive mistakes and bullpen blowing games – that is something that sticks with people, uh, and fans never forget that no matter what the actual statistics say, right? Yeah. They'll go, oh, my God, remember when the bullpen blew that one game? What a terrible bullpen. It's awful. And the same thing with defense. Oh, we had that game where we made all these errors. Oh, my God, we were terrible at defense. Well, the statistics held it out this year. The White Sox were terrible at defense. They were one of the three worst defensive teams in baseball. The only two teams below them were the Nationals, who were uh, one of the, if not the worst team in baseball. They were the worst team in the National League, I believe. Um, and then the San Francisco Giants, who the folks in San Francisco are feeling an awful lot like the folks on the south side this year. Uh, you know, that team won 100-something games last year. Not Nowhere to be found in the playoff picture this year. Very, very disappointing year for the Giants as well. If you don't catch the ball, that's going to lead to a lot of problems. Certainly the White Sox have it, and I'm sure any, everybody can remember it anecdotally, the White Sox uh, you know, screwing up in the field a, a few too many times. Uh, and there were some games in particular where – it seemed to, uh, you know, be the bad omen for the season. You know, you think back to the early season game in Cleveland mm-hmm. where Dallas Keuchel gives up a million runs in the first inning because of all the errors behind him. But you can fast forward all the way to the end, Adam Angle in Baltimore and, and, mm-hmm. and him dropping that uh, that pop-up down the, down the in foul territory there. So, However um, many times they ran into each other. Yeah, I mean, and right. And, and you know, it's just it, it, it was not pretty – aesthetically and it was not pretty from an anecdotally oh my memory tells me they were bad at defense uh thing they were bad at defense so say the statistics as well i'm gonna go with a d i'm great and light but i have a couple shining lights in the defensive uh, order with you Moncada doing the things they did at third base and i know there was a couple times where people thought that Yoan could have did better but he made some spectacular plays where I think he can be eventually a, a gold glove third baseman if he puts his mind to it. You, you know he gets a little lackadaisical from time to time, but when he's on, he's on. He's one of the best third basemen as far as the defense goes in the game. And then I'll give it to Josh Harrison, who manned second base, did a great job, made the best play I've seen defensively this year with that diving full-out extension catch he made into short right field. It was just spectacular play. But for most part, as Vinny said, they were the, one of the worst in the airs, one of the worst when they had the two right, uh, first basemen in right and left field with uh, Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets. They're objectively one of the worst outfielders. Like, Andrew Vaughn is the worst outfielder in uh, outs above average in Major League Baseball. And Gavin Sheets is not too far behind him. Uh, That's not true. He's not the worst. 
Jack Peterson and Jesse Winkler. Oh, they are? Okay. I'm, I meant the, not the outs above average. What is the other one? DRS. That, DRS that's what right. I was talking Defense about. Defensive run save. Outs above average, he might be the worst. Yeah. That's possible. Yeah, and so they have two of the worst there, and so you know the defense is struggling. If they're sending them out there for multiple games out there, and you know how bad that uh, Yasmani Grandal is at catching this year. He was boxing a lot of balls, a lot of pass balls, a lot of wild pitches. Didn't barely throw, throw anybody out, but consistent, as you said. They were running to each other in April through September. They were consistent and even got one of our key contributors hurt early in the game because of the lack of communication with the new guy, Adam Hazley, running into Danny Mendick and Danny Mendick having a tour in ACL. So how many times have we seen that? That hasn't been fixed. The White Sox, and this will go to our last category, continuously don't improve the thing that they see. It's a glaring weakness for themselves and this defense needs to improve. But they have people that can get the job done. Tim is not as bad as he was this year uh, in the defense. You saw it early. He was just really a butcher. That Cleveland game, that Cleveland series, horrible. Then he got his head on straight, and he kind of calmed down before he got hurt. But we know he can be better. We know Hose has done well for himself. He's improved himself. Vinny gives the anecdote there. Uh, Ricky Renteria pretty much told him, hey, man, you got to improve it for a space. We're going to DH your ass. And Hose took that to heart and got the job done, partly the reason why he was the MVP in 2020. So we know he can get the job done if he comes back. And if Andrew Vaughn, if he doesn't come back, Andrew Vaughn is a solid enough guy at first base. So they can get better, but I'll put a D on this year's uh, defense. Just to bring up some of the stats that you you guys referenced, uh, first off, I'll start with Tim. Uh, I don't know. I think Tim would probably say he had a real bad defensive year. Uh, 691 innings at shortstop. He made 12 errors. Um, in 2021, he played 1,048 innings, only making 10 errors. So, you know, uh, less than 400 innings and still had two, more than he two errors. He made like nine in the first month. It was ridiculous. It was ugly. Yeah, yeah early. And, it, you know, he he, did, he was better, but still, I mean, the, the, when he got better defensively, his bat went away. So um, it was a real, you know, Story of two seasons for uh, for Tim Anderson here. Um, Andrew Vaughn is the worst defender in baseball over the past two years when it comes to outs above average. He's at minus 26. Him and Harold Castro of the Tigers are tied at minus 26. One and of the Tigers is many Castros. Yes, one of the, they, yeah. they they split them up too. Yeah. Um, one of them is better. Uh, at, at, uh, at Harold is not good defensively. No, I don't think he's good offensively either. <laughs> okay, um, and that's then, a problem. Yes, that is a problem. <laughs> Andrew Vaughn this year the worst. Uh, defender according to outs above average um, minus 19 next was Patrick Wisdom with minus 15 at mm. third base so uh, the next worst outfielder Kyle Schwarber at minus 13 don't want him uh, you know I, I mentioned Kyle Schwarber a couple times this offseason well, just if, want to say if Andrew Vaughn had hit 40 home runs it really wouldn't yeah, have been exactly. but we're fine with it <laughs> Kyle Schwarber did make all the airs um, Andrew Vaughn worst outfielder in baseball <laughs> thanks Rusty put him at first uh, let's <laughs> Uh, that bodes well for Andrew Vaughn in 2023, really, though. Absolutely. If, if the guaranteed rate commercial has told us anything. Put him at first base. Uh, so my defense is going to be an F uh, as well. Uh, just looking over the past two years, um, when you look at defensive run saves, the White Sox as a team have minus 87 defensive run saves. That is the worst in baseball over the past two years. Um, it did get a little bit better. It got better um, this year uh, at minus 35. Worst this year was the Giants at minus 52. Um, but you even look as... Uh, as a whole, as a team, as a whole, um, they were tied with the Angels for the uh, 23rd worst defense at minus 24, according to outs above average. There wasn't really a kind stat to their defense. Um, Yasmani Grandal and Sebi were all right. A catcher, you mentioned Yohan Moncada at third base. He was all right, but even when Jake Berger was there, he was iffy. Like, really, the two spots... Iffy, iffy is being nice. Yeah, Very nice. nice. <laughs> um, but usually with Jake, we liked him because he would make an error and then hit a homer. Um, sure, that's uh, true. He did do that a lot. A lot of the yeah. time he was able to pick himself up. Um, I miss Jake Berger. Uh, nice, nice guy. Um, but... Uh, I would say, like, Jose Abreu, very consistent at first base. I would say catcher was very consistent. If not, it wasn't good, but it was consistent. Um, mm -hmm. And Yohan Moncada at third base, I think, was pretty consistent. And Josh Harrison was pretty consistent. Outside of that, shortstop, left field, even center field need, needs yeah. to two years. Needs to two improve. years ago, Luis Robert won a gold glove. Mm -hmm. And I don't think anybody's been talking about him doing that each either the last two years. Mm -hmm. no. uh, and his numbers, too, just like outfielder jump, uh, outfielder uh, out, outs above average, uh, even arm strength as well, um, all going down for Luis Roberts. It's, it's trending in the wrong direction, uh, if you want to say. So Luis definitely needs to turn things around to be uh, showing all five tools uh, that he was projected to have. Want to let you know about points bet. This football season, points bets bring you 
you a better way to bet live on games, which means before this ad's over, you can place a live same-game parlay bet. You can bet on the next drive to be a touchdown, and you can bet on you can cash out your live second half over bet. With points bet, you have access to more live football markets than ever before, and you can build the perfect live same game parlay by combining your favorite bets anytime during the game, including spreads, totals, player props, and more. I've loved using the points bet lightning bets. I've been watching the Monday night game, the Sunday night game, and I can choose what's going to happen on that drive. If I think, uh, you know, Baltimore's going to go down and kick a field goal, or maybe they'll get an offensive touchdown, or maybe I'll have them throw an interception, uh, you can usually get those at plus money, and you could try to predict the drive. They are a lot of fun. So whether you're on the move, or on the couch, have fun, do it live on PointsBet. You can download the PointsBet app today and sign up with the code CHGO to get two or three bets up to $2,000. And if you or somebody you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBA for crisis counseling and referral services. And our next partner, Green Ridge Farm, supplies us with our favorite meats and cheeses. They're a Green Ridge, a Green Ridge Farm is a Chicago local meat and cheese company offering you a better all-natural option. They're the makers of the all-natural deli meat that I picked up at my local supermarket, got a pound of fresh ham from Green Ridge Farm recently. They also make sausages and their famous meat sticks. The meat sticks are perfect for tailgating, happy hour, and school lunches. Also work lunches, uh, jumped into the office today at 2 p.m., popped in a Green Ridge Farm meat stick into the uh, the microwave, and there's my fuel for this podcast. Uh, with 16 grams of protein per stick, they also make a perfect post-workout snack, and meat sticks come in chicken, black forest beef, and flavors like jalapeno cheddar and spicy chili. If you haven't tried them yet, you don't know what you're missing out because they are based off recipes that are generations in the making. Being all natural, they deliver a freshest flavor alternative at snack time. Right now, when you order any three meat products at greenrichfarm.com and include a pack of meat sticks in your cart, those meat sticks will be free simply by using the code CHGO at checkout. So again, right now, when you order any three meat products at greenrichfarm.com and include a pack of meat sticks in your cart, those meat sticks will be free simply by using code CHGO at checkout. Let's go to the starters here. Uh, Shea Fidel saying starters got a solid C. I want to say B minus, the bright spot of the team. Uh, So where are we going here? Uh, I was you know, a little iffy on what to do with the starters because Dylan Cease, really good. Lucas Giolito, not so much. Lance Lynn hurt. Johnny Cueto was great. So where do we land with the starters here? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and give them a B plus. I thought they were really good for the most part. I think um, there are some definite things that are keeping them from being in that A territory. You brought up Lucas Giolito. Obviously, he had a very down year, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of people would probably look at him and, and try to maybe drag the whole unit down uh, because of that. Certainly, uh, Lance Lynn being out for the first two months of the season was was not good. And uh, Dallas Keuchel, uh, remember, was supposed to be one of the five starting pitchers Ooh. on this team. Uh, and he uh, obviously fared quite poorly. And I tried trading him to San Francisco. Yeah. yeah. Boy, well, I wonder why they didn't take that deal. I wonder. Uh, I wonder why the imaginary Giants didn't take that Seriously. deal. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it didn't work at all. So I think that's going to bump it down, but only to a B-plus because, obviously, Dylan Cease was one of the three best pitchers in the American League. You could argue he was one of the two best pitchers in the American League. Uh, I thought Michael Kopech had a very nice season for it being his first year, basically, as a major league starting pitcher. Obviously, some injury issues that you'd like to see him move past. Um, Lance Lynn ended the season as Lance Lynn. Uh, you know, it, it was not a, uh, a smooth road to get there, but I don't think uh, anybody should be uh, terribly concerned that he can't be Lance Lynn in 2023 and I think he showed that uh, getting much better as time went on this year and then of course Johnny Cueto um, was the picture of consistency out of nowhere he was uh, excellent for them this year Uh, Davis Martin as well Mm -hmm. as a spot starter had a very nice season so I'm going to go ahead with the B plus because I think overwhelmingly it was a lot more positives than negatives the only thing that I'm changing from your grade is I'm just taking the plus away because of Lucas Giolito and Dallas Keiko. just how poorly they were this year. Like, I, we pretty much knew that Dallas Keiko wasn't going to be great, but all we wanted him to do was be a typical fifth starter where you give it a four-and-a-half ERA, go out and eat some innings. He couldn't even do that with the White Sox, so they had to release him, what, after 13 games? It was a tough tough sledding for Dallas Keuchel. And Lucas Giolito, after starting the game, or starting the year strong and then getting hurt in that first start, really never caught track with his illnesses, uh, the COVID he had, the all the weight that he gained in the offseason really didn't work out for him. And so, yes, he won't drag, those two won't drag the whole team's grade down because all of them had sub-four ERAs, uh, all the four rest of them uh, with Cease, Cueto, uh, Kopech, and Lance Lynn, they had four sub-four ERAs. And even um, Davis Martin, who 
ended up with a 485 ERA. We know that's because that last start was really tough, but every time he was called upon to start a game, he looked really solid. Same thing for Vince Velasquez. We remember that Angels start. We're like, "Uh uh-oh, here we go. We're going to get murdered by the Angels. And Vince Velasquez went out there. I think they won the game 6-0 on a Saturday, and he dealt that day. He was looking really good early in the season. So, yeah, and there was ports of this season where I thought – Johnny Cueto looked like the best pitcher on the staff. Mm-hmm. Like, we were like, is Dylan Cease the best? Johnny Cueto's out here pitching eight innings with no runs given up and getting a no decision or a loss. So, Cueto was so awesome this year. And I hope him and I wish him well on his travels. Don't want him back because I thought this was such a magical season, but it'd be hard to replicate for next year. That's how great Johnny Cueto was this year. And Dylan Cease, there's no words need to be, need to be said about him. Just one of the best in baseball right now with a tremendous ceiling. He still hasn't even got close to that. You could just reference size C's. It's as easy as that. Um, yep. uh, you know, it was a, an easy uh, slogan to come up with just because he was so dominant. Uh, 14 straight starts with one earned run or less. Um, you mentioned Dallas Keuchel too. 10 starts, or I'm sorry, 8 starts for the White Sox this year. He only made 8 starts Ugh. for the Sox. 14 total in Dallas Keuchel's last eight starts um, just this year. So that's including his time with Texas, Arizona, and also two starts with the White Sox. Eight games, Bad. 34 and two-thirds innings pitched, Good. 46 earned runs. Whew, Jesus. <laughs> eight <laughs> home runs, an ERA of 11.94. They did not miss him at all. No, and thank God they cut bait early before it got real, real bad. Um, Steven, I think I went with a B plus. Um, I, I'm not sure. I think you, you went with a B minus. I went with a B minus. Okay. Um, I went with a B minus. Uh, I think mainly I went with a B minus because you look at how good they were last year. You could say that last year that they were an A plus. Um, and just the fact that they took this step back, they were middle of the road. Um, so I'm saying B minus because they were a little bit better than average, um, but they weren't really stand out like they were last year. Last year they had the fourth most innings pitched and I think the third most war. Um, if you looked at innings pitched and war together, you basically say they had the third best staff. Milwaukee had more war and just a little bit amount of innings. Uh, same with Los Angeles. Los Angeles had a little bit less innings uh, than the Sox in 2021, but more war. Um, Sox finished with 19.6 war and they had so many guys go deep. I mean, consistently seven innings each in, uh, each start after another. Um, and the Sox really couldn't get that consistency this year. They finished 15th in actual war, and I think they finished 12th in innings pitched this year. So they weren't able to give them that extra oomph. I also will, f- I feel like I'm being a little bit nice here given the B minus just because if they are average, that'd be a C. I think they do get a little bit of a break for the fact that there was the lockout. Um, even Lucas Giolito, the guy who would get the worst player grade um you could even look at his struggle stemming from the lockout and him saying that he was lifting so much that he built up his body a ton and then that threw off his mechanics and then he ended up you know trying to overwork his body hurting his oblique and he really wasn't the same pitcher after that that start he left in in Detroit I think it was so um you could even go to the struggles just going all the way to the lockout so I'll be fair I just think that they were good they could definitely get by um and I think that there was a lot of performances that were encouraging you know Johnny Cueto was a great find for the Sox um Lance Lynn was good in spots I mean there was the stretch there um like mid-June to late August that he was dominant I think like 72 strikeouts over six uh six walks in like his eight starts at that point um Dylan Cease you mentioned Cy Young caliber um but it really falls to Lucas I think just he was the one that didn't meet expectations even Kopech like Kopech 119 and two-thirds innings I think that was less than we thought he would throw but his ERA was still like under 3.5, which you can't really uh, scoff at when when you when you're talking about a rookie pitcher here or a rookie starter. Yeah, this is his first full year of pitching in the major leagues, first starting in the major leagues. Like for what he did, like it's phenomenal. Coming off of the Tommy John a couple years ago, what he did last year with spot starts and mostly relief, and then this year taking the ball for the most part. Every fifth until he, you know, got little nicks and, and little injuries or they had to rest him. That's pretty good to see that he posted what a three fifty ERA and he was just that good, dominant. Ask the Yankees. Seriously, ask the Yankees. They're like, I don't want to see him ever again because you saw the looks in their faces. Like looking at the scoreboard after they go strike, I was like, Nope, don't want that. It's like, okay, we're gonna get him back in the Bronx. No, you ain't. I'm going to shut you guys down. How about that? I'm going to go almost a no-hitter in this game. How you, how you feel about that, Yankees? That man was dominant at times, and 
I'm looking forward to him getting a ni- nice little rest here for the offseason and then building that body back up for a long stretch drive where he is battling Dylan Cease next year for the true ace of the staff. 13 innings pitched this uh, year against the Yankees for Michael Kopech. Two hits allowed, three earned runs. But the main thing, too, only nine strikeouts in those 13 innings. We saw his fastball be really dominant, but it really didn't feel like his breaking stuff was as dominant as him coming out of the bullpen. So you talk about building up that strength, not only so you can pitch more innings and you're not going to be you know out by you know mid-September just due to the meniscus. I think he's dealing with, um, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully you'd be able to manage your body a little bit better, but also hopefully you'd be able to get more sharpness in your bla- breaking stuff, because I think that's going to be where he gets to a below three pitcher or, you know, is, is racking up near 200 strikeouts like Dylan Cease's if he's able to, you know, really unlock that, that breaking ball to where it was when he was coming out of the pen. And you brought uh, up the lockout. He's one that, that, you know, was affected by that as well. A, he had that the COVID infection during the offseason that kind of set him back a little bit. He wasn't really ready for the start of spring training because of that and 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 two not able to uh, work with Ethan Katz I mean we've seen the effect that Ethan Katz has had on Dylan Cease the effect that Ethan Katz has had on Carlos Rodon Michael Kopech didn't get that full offseason to work with uh, to work with Ethan because of the lockout. Absolutely. Um, and let's go to the relief pitching. We mentioned Michael Kopech coming out of that bullpen. Uh, the bullpen was added to this offseason. Joe Kelly was a huge addition. Kendall Graveman was a huge addition. Obviously, they lost Michael Kopech and Garrett Crochet. Um, but it felt like the Sox were going in with uh, top relievers. So what are we going to give them for the 2022 grade? How did they fare? This bullpen that I think was spent like 27% of the payroll was spent on this bullpen. I'm sure that I'm going to be uh, more generous than a lot of people, but I I think the bullpen was good, B-plus, and and I think they got good arms back there, too. I mean, you know, Joe Kelly had a bad season, no doubt about it, but I don't think people should be like, oh, God, Joe Kelly's on the team for 2023. Joe Kelly could be a very valuable piece of that bullpen in 2023. you got to see how it plays out, obviously, but relief pitching has a tendency to do that a little bit, kind of change from year to year, but... Uh, Liam Hendricks was Liam Hendricks again for the most part. Probably would uh, he would probably say he didn't have as good a year as he did the previous one with the White Sox. But um, I thought Kendall Graveman had a very good year again. People are going to remember, like I was talking about earlier, yeah. that horrible game in Colorado yep. or some of the other tough moments that he had during the season. But I thought Graveman was really good. Uh, and then you, the, some of your out-of-nowhere guys that were really good, too, in Jimmy Lambert and Reynaldo Lopez. Obviously, those guys were in the pitching mix, not expected to be uh, brought up this early in the list of really good relief pitchers, given, uh, like you said, Sean, how many big names they had back there. Um, certainly, Joe Kelly had a bad year. Garrett Crochet was hurt all year and couldn't really contribute at all. Uh, Aaron Bummer was hurt pretty much all year and couldn't contribute the way that they wanted him to and hoped he would. But guess what? No, None of these guys are going anywhere right. uh, for next year. And so I think that um, – I, I think it's a strong group. You know, I, I don't think that Joe Kelly and even Jake Diekman, who was not good after they got him from Boston, um, those two guys, they've got experience. And they it, it's, it's one thing to say, uh, you know, oh, we have no idea what we're going to get out of Jimmy Lambert next year, right? Because he's only had one season of being a relief pitcher in the bigs. Uh, the same you could say for Reynaldo Lopez. But um, to have the accomplished resumes of Hendricks, Graveman, Kelly, Deekman and to some extent bummer back there uh, is a really good thing for this bullpen and for the, the White Sox I think moving into 2023 so maybe that B plus is a little is a little 2022 grade and 2023 kind of outlook maybe more than uh, than it should be but uh, I think there were some real bright spots there were a couple of, of negatives that I think could be bright spots in the future um, and maybe that's why that that B plus is as high as it is I went with a straight C just average they had great performers and Liam Hendricks who is again probably not going to win the reliever of the year like he did the last two years but really solid you pretty much guaranteed that Liam is going to give you a great effort if he comes in the game Graveman I thought was better than people thought he was I thought he did the job that he was paid for this year people like to pair him with Joe Kelly because he was both they're both signed in the offseason as part of this relief core Joe Kelly had a horrible year Kendall Graveman I think had a pretty good year for himself um, and then they had a bunch of injuries, as Vinny referenced. Having Aaron Bummer go out so early was a death nail to this team. It's so terrible that they had him, and they already knew about uh, Garrett Crochet, and so you had, Two to, lefties. You, you had to have somebody step up, and a longtime minor leaguer in Tanner Banks stepped up 
and did the job for the most part. We've seen terrible, well, terrible is kind of hard, but Ben and Sousa and Anderson, Sean Anderson, Severino. Severino were, was were not great. Awful. Um, they could not find the plate. Well, one of them couldn't find the plate at all. That's Sean Anderson, Severino. Yeah. But Tanner Banks did a, a admirable job. He actually was a, a 3.06 ERA this year as the pretty much sole lefty in the bullpen for a long time. A lot of mop-up duty for him, too, this year. Yeah, and he did well. And as Vinny said, if you're going to tell me that they're going to get great performances and get something out of Jimmy Lambert, who before this year, White Sox fans, he was the Davis Martin before this year, but not as successful as Davis Martin has been. Jimmy Lambert had come up and him or Jonathan Stever had come up and not pitch as well. Now they've put him in a, uh, a spot where I think that he can succeed long term. And I've always thought Ronaldo Lopez is a reliever and would be a dominant closer eventually. And the White Sox need kudos for what they've done with him where he was a failed starter, and they kept on trying, they kept on trying, and it didn't work out, even though his 2018 was better than Lucas Giolito's, and everybody was saying, hey, that's the steal of the, the trade that we got for Adam, Engel, Adam Eaton, not Lucas Giolito, not Dane Dunney, it's Ronaldo Lopez. And now Ronaldo Lopez looks like the steal of the trade that we got because he is a dominant reliever. I think eventually he'll be a dominant closer. And so you develop two good pitchers that you can depend on going in the future. And I agree with Vinny. Joe Kelly has great stuff, not good stuff, great stuff. Now, can he command it? Right. Can he get the ball into the strike zone? Can he throw the ball where he needs to? Can that knuckle curve get over and fool hitters like it used to in uh, Houston? I mean, in uh, Los Angeles and Boston, maybe, as Vinny said, it's volatile. From year to year, bullpens are volatile. But I think this bullpen is just a C because they had so many highs, so many average, and then so many failed. So it's right in the middle, probably like a 70. I forget who said it, which player. I think it might have been Liam. But it was just like the team was never clicking. Like if two things were working, one thing wasn't. And we saw this a ton with the bullpen. Like, oh, here's a perfect game. You finally have the bullpen that you paid so much money to to sit on this lead. And I, I just think to the last like important game that White Sox fans paid attention to was the, tw- the 20th against Cleveland. And, mm. you know, here comes the bullpen in with a lead, and they end up blowing it and losing in, in extra innings, and the, the, the season was never the same after that. Um, I'm going to give them a B-plus, though. They obviously were worse than last year, but if you look at innings pitched, they were about middle of the road uh, this year um, and right around the Dodgers. So the White Sox pitched 582 and one-thirds innings. The Dodgers bullpen fit, uh, pitched 581 innings. The Dodgers had a war of 8.6. The Sox had a war of 5.3. The only team above them that had more innings pitched and a higher war was the Tigers at 617 and a war of 5.4. They're filthy. And war is cumulative, cumulative, right? So obviously the Dodgers were much, much better than the Chicago White Sox having an 8.6 war and uh, one and one-third less innings. But a a B-plus still says that they're probably a top 10 unit, top 12 unit, and that's what I think this, this unit is. I think that they're a fine postseason unit and we bring up the, the struggles of Joe Kelly and Kendall Graveman I think someone mentioned it I think it was Brandon um, you know just don't pitch Kendall Graveman on back-to-back is one thing that we learned it seemed like he really really struggled when he was uh, used in back-to-back days um, I think one of those was the Colorado game you bring up um, when he had zero days of rest he allowed seven uh, earned runs in 12 innings not good um, but outside of that he's pretty good when he had two to three days rest um, but Joe Kelly Joe Kelly had an a FIP, which is a fielding independent pitching. And again, White Sox have the worst defense in all of baseball. His FIP was 306. That's Joe Kelly's lowest FIP in his career. Yes, he had a 608 ERA. He only allowed two home runs, also the lowest in his career. So if you look at Sierra, which is skilled earn run uh, average, um, it looks I'm at- I'm sorry, what is the name of this so stat? It's skilled interactive earn run average, Sierra. S-I-E-R-A. too many letters. Too many um, letters for a stat. It's Let's fa- keep it at four fair. or under. That's fair. Um, it quantifies <laughs> a pitcher's performance by trying to eliminate factors that a pitcher can't control by himself. Uh, but unlike a stat such as XFIP, uh, Sierra considers balls and plays and adjusts for the type of ball in play. So, you know, was Joe Kelly getting a lot of uh, ground outs? Were they getting hit hard? Were they sharp line outs that were just hit, you know, in between guys? Um, so his Sierra shows that, you know, it's around a three ERA. So it just shows that if the defense was a little bit better and he wasn't walking as many guys, I think the big thing with Joe Kelly was he'd walk the first guy, 
then a ball that shouldn't have landed landed because either the White Sox defense or bad luck, and then it would just start to really unravel there. I think Joe Kelly can be a fine pitcher for the White Sox in 2023. I think Kendall Graveman can be a fine pitcher in 2023. Um, the one question, and you bring up Reynaldo Lopez' future as a closer, I think also Raylo and Jimmy Lambert were excellent, and I'm excited to see what their 2023s were like. So, you know, I, I think those four guys were were all right. Raylo and, and uh, uh, Lambert, obviously better than those two. But um, Liam. You mentioned Raylo's possible potential as a future closer. If Liam is traded, um, he's going to get uh, his a fourth year is guaranteed on his contract. So if he was traded this year, traded to a team, that team would then have Liam Hendricks for two years and $29 million. Um, there is talks, though, about, you know, the only two untouchables are Dylan Cease and uh, Andrew Vaughn. So would you guys, and Herb, I'll start with you, be comfortable with the Sox exploring a Liam Hendricks trade? No, because a closer like that of that caliber is hard to recoup. And yes, I do think that Raylo will be a good closer eventually. You got to work into that job and maybe it'll be on a different team to hand him the reins next year and a team, which I think they think, and we will think will be competing again next year. And competing is, you know, a broad word because these some bitches did not compete this year, but having Liam Hendricks, wherever price he's at is a steal. To have that kind of relief, like, oh, we know Liam's in the game. He's going to give us quality effort. He's going to be throwing, pouring strikes over, for the most part, not walking people. Yeah, if he gets hit hard, that's what Liam does sometimes. He gives up a home run. But for the most part, Liam's going to get the, the job done. We're going to get a dub right here. So that is a comforting feeling for a team to know that that guy is in the back end of your bullpen, knowing that you only have to go eight and a half innings if you're at home to get the job done. Raylo, I don't know. Can he get it done? People say it's the hardest job in baseball because the 25, 26, and 27 are the hardest outs to get. And it's not necessarily the people in the box. It's the mental. Does Raylo have the mental yet? And Liam, you could tell, has the mental. Once he gives up a hit, he's like, I played like shit. I was terrible. That doesn't mean anything about tomorrow. I'm going to play better tomorrow. That mental and that mentality is needed for a elite closer. And that's what Liam has. I think that trading him away would be a mistake unless you got somebody of that ilk, of that caliber, which is very hard to get because he's one of the best. Yeah, I mean, Herb said it. Yeah, That's an asset. You, you, you invested that money for a very good reason, and that was to have one of, if not the best closer in baseball uh, to be able to lock down the ninth inning for you. And uh, Liam Hendricks has done that for the White Sox each of the last two seasons. Uh, they got enough holes. They don't need to go create another by, uh, by dealing away their closer, uh, not to mention that, uh, you know, if you're going to let Jose Abreu go, how many? How, how are you going to function without any leaders in that clubhouse? Uh, you know, he's this is this is a guy who who decided to come here, who picked the White Sox. I mean, you can go back and point to um, you know the John Lester comparisons we were throwing around when Yasmani Grandal and Dallas Keuchel signed. You know, belief in in what was happening here. I think Liam Hendricks would fall uh, into that same category because. He, he picked these guys. He signed up to to be part of this winning culture. And uh, in my opinion, he's been nothing but a positive influence on that culture so far. So uh, for everything off the field, not to mention the fact that he's one of the game's best guys in the ninth inning on the field, uh, it would it would seem very foolish to me to trade him away. One, two. See, there's a guy, HL. Is, is it me, myself, in the future? Herb, not okay with trading Liam, but wants to trade Aloy for Jesse Winker and Kelnick. I don't want to. I'm just giving options. If we have availability for You've been Aloy, talking trade Aloy Jimenez since, I think, late May. Because he's <laughs> got his uh, trade value up to the highest point it's going to be, I think, at this at his uh, career. Because he might get hurt next year, and then that just deflates his trade value. So, right. yes. It's not that I don't like Aloy. I think Aloy's an elite bat. But he's never healthy enough to play enough games. So, yeah. yes. Don't act like I want to trade. And like people said last year, like, I want to trade Andrew Vaughn. I don't want to. But if to making the team better, I will. I will sacrifice to have a better team. Yeah, I mean, my feelings is I don't care who they trade. I, I would be able to probably swallow any move that they made at this point. Um, and I, I just, I don't know if Hendricks is the one they give up. And I understand $13 million is going to be huge for, for this team. It's dropping the um, bucket, though. That's not, that's not a lot of money. Well, historically for the White Sox, it would yeah. be. 
because um, you know right now they're pushing I think to up to 170 million last year I think their payroll is what 181 mm-hmm. um, so they have about 11 million dollars in room you clear up 13 million dollars there you know there's what 24 million dollars that you could spend on free agents so um, and Reynaldo Lopez um, Joe R brings it and you mentioned you know you think he has the stuff to be a closer uh, Joe R asked thoughts on uh, Lopez to closer um, I did want to look up like how good was Joe Kelly at uh, limiting home runs 37 innings two home runs not that great but I looked for players who had 90% games in relief, at least 37 innings pitched, and less than two home runs. Nick Nelson of the Phillies led with 68 He's innings. In the, he was in the band Nelson, correct? Yes, yeah. he was the yeah. third Nelson. Yeah, the f- third Nelson twin. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nick Nelson, uh, 68 and two-thirds innings pitched for the Phillies this year, one home run allowed. Second, Reynaldo Lopez, 650, or, uh, 65 innings and one-third innings uh, 65 and one-third innings pitched, one home run allowed. So basically, Reynaldo Lopez, very, very good at uh, limiting home runs, which you would love to see. And uh, his FIP was 193. Joe Kelly's was 306. Um, I do think Raylo could be that that future closer for the Sox. Um, so if they did move away from Liam, Liam Hendricks, I don't know if I'd love it, well, but I think I could can, understand it. You can wait. Like, Reynaldo's right. young. Yeah. Let Liam Hendricks be the closer for two more years and then make Reynaldo Lopez the closer. Well, Liam's only under contract for the Sox for one more year because it was a three-year That's deal, kind right? of true. Okay. He is guaranteed the money. In the fourth year. He's guaranteed the money in the fourth year. I believe what it is yes. is if the, whether they de- pick up or decline the team option for the fourth year, he gets that. the same amount of m- money. Yeah. The 20- buyout is equal to the salary. Absolutely. Yes. 2024 yes. club option includes a $15 million right. buyout. So he's def- on the team. Deferred at $1.5 million from 2024 to 2033. So, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And the option automatically vests if traded. So he would, if, if traded, that would automatically um, be picked up. So you're, you're right that the Sox in 2024 will be on the hook for Liam Hendricks for $15 million, whether he is or isn't on the team. So maybe now's the right time to deal him. Because, again, two years for $29 million. You're just trading everybody. But it's a good value. You you, like, you, uh, how, you're just trading everybody on the just, roster. You just got A.J. Pollock for Craig Kimber, who's not even on the Dodgers playoff roster. What would you get from Liam Hendricks? Cool. A boat? A.J. Pollock? <laughs> Nobody wants A.J. Pollock back next year, and he's going to be next but, year. You, but, like, imagine how cool of a player you'd get back if you traded Liam Also, Hendricks. did you say a boat? Yeah, a boat. <laughs> you're just going to play a boat in right field? It could be anything. It could be anything. He'll probably be catch it better. Um, <laughs> maybe. Uh, you know, just got to park it underneath it. Um, yeah, uh, I, I would say that Right now, the bullpen is at least in a good spot because it is a position of strength, right? Raylo, Liam, Graveman, Kelly, Lambert, um, those five right there you feel pretty good about, and even Garrett Crochet coming back. I really don't think that he's going to be a starter. Again, it makes sense why he's pushing himself as a starter to make as much money as possible in his career, but um, adding that lefty to that bullpen uh, should give the Sox even more of a boost. So I, I really do think it's probably... Don't forget, Jake Diekman's coming back. Oh, and Jake Diekman's coming back, right? <laughs> Aaron Bummer's coming back. That's good. Well, uh, yeah, I like Bummer. I'm good I mean, for that one. We talk about you know how, how cheap uh, or how good of a deal Liam Hendricks is at two years, $29 million. If Aaron Bummer stays healthy, I mean, people, I think, don't realize how good of a contract they signed him for. Um, it's just about staying healthy for for Aaron Bummer. Got to let you know about FOCO. Chicago, you've already got the best coverage for your favorite sports team, so get fitted in the best sports gear around. FOCO has you covered from Soldier Field to the front room, north or south side, with hoodies, slippers, signs, bobbleheads, and everything in between. Get decked out like DeMar with apparel from the leaders in sports merch and collectibles. FOCO, if you're looking for the perfect gift for the football fan in your life, FOCO's got you covered, to height, uh, got you covered with hoodies to fight that Lake Michigan Breeze. Check out FOCO, F-O-C-O.com, or click the link in the description below for all non-presale items. Use the promo code CHGO for 10% off. So go to FOCO.com, F-O-C-O.com, or click the link in the description. And for all non-presale items, use promo code CHGO for 10% off. Also got to let you know about our good friends over at Game Time. Herb use Game Time to get tickets down in Atlanta. If you're in Atlanta now, you could also... Use game time to get tickets to the Phillies and Braves game tomorrow. To watch uh, the Phillies win game two, too. Seven to six. <laughs> Braves came back. Did they? they? Yeah. They, oh. they, they, they almost made it. Uh, they almost, uh, What's going on in that? Uh, it's Houston six to three Seattle Mariner game. in the bottom of the six. And if you're looking, you know, maybe on October 5th, 15th, maybe you're going to be in Seattle. You can go see the first playoff game in 21 years wow. um, in Seattle. Game time is the hottest new ticketing site that makes it easier than ever to score the best deals on tickets to sports, concerts, and shows. If you ever dreamed about uh, sitting in a seat you never thought you could, like a Mariners playoff game or at the 50-yard line, maybe courtside to a Bulls game coming up this year, 
uh, on the ice of an NHL game. On the ice? Or, or what's it called? On the glass? The glass. On if the they glass. have seats on the ice, then this is certainly a ticketing website like no other. It's <laughs> thoughts you on seats you never thought you could buy. It's it's in the ad. I never thought you could be on the ice. Are you riding the Zamboni? Is that what's happening? Maybe they got tickets. I'm not sure. You got to check it out. GameTime.com <laughs> is where you check them out. You won't find a better deal on season. Uh, you won't find a better deal this season on Bulls, Blackhawks, or Bears tickets. It was created by the fans for the fans, and it guarantees the lowest price. If you love CHGO, then you'll love GameTime. The best way to support us is by buying your tickets through the link in the description and join over 15 million people who have downloaded the GameTime app and score the best seats to all your favorite events. Let's get into the final grade. We are going into coaching. So this is first base, third base, manager, pitching coach, and hitting coach. Vinny, we've started with you uh, for all these categories, and we'll start with you again. I'm pretty sure what I said, this was an hour ago when I told Steven what this was. I went with a uh, regular old D there, uh, so that's what we're going to do, D. Um, again, I, I've said this a lot. I, The coaching staff, the manager, far from blameless, and uh, it, it is their job to get this team to win and this team did not win up to expectations. So obviously it was a, um, we'll call it a uh, lowercase failure because I'm not giving the actual capital FF. Um, but that being said, I think the vast majority of the reason that this team failed was the guys who go between the lines. And uh, it is their job to get it done. Uh, the the players were the ones who were uh, paid uh, immensely, and this team was built around players. Nobody is was uh, sitting there during the days of the rebuild and drafting up their their future pitching coach <laughs> and future hitting coach. Uh, you know, it, it's it's about the guys you know who take the at bats. It's about the guys who take the mound. Uh, it's about the guys who take the field. And as we discussed earlier in the show, uh, in at least two of those three areas. Those players failed dramatically in doing those jobs. So um, I'm always going to be uh, of the opinion that the coaching staff can only do so much good and it can only do so much damage. Um, but clearly, their job was to help this team win. This team did not win, so I'll go ahead and give them a D. I do want to give Joe R a shout-out for saying, what's lower than an F? D for D's guys are terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> F, I mean, they failed in every aspect except for pitching coach. Like, I'm not going to drag this grade up because of one great spot as I didn't drag the pitching down because of one with Lucas Giolito's poor spot there. Everybody, for the most part, failed. The manager failed. The first page coach slash outfielder uh, coach failed in Daryl Boston. Joe McEwing, how many people did he get thrown out at home plate with bad sins well, I guess you that. all the time? It was just consistently. And the defense. So we talk about the defense. They're coaching the defense, and apparently they're one of the worst defenses in baseball. What are they coaching them? I mean, after a while, and I agree with you, Vinny, this is on the players for the most part, but also if you're not getting through to the players and the results are as such, like the hitting's not as good, the defense sucks, you continuously continue to run into each other. This has been going on for years with the same coaching staff where people keep on not communicating, getting everybody out the way when you call the ball. Years. People have been getting hurt every single year because of this same thing, and that's on the coaching staff. Um, and I think a big-time thing is accountability – and actual, like, okay, guys, it's April. These games count. Some intensity early. Some, hey, man, these games actually count. Not like, oh, it's early. We got those games. There wasn't a, a lot of that until at the end of the year when Miguel Cairo had to come in and said, hey, we're doing this, that, and the other. If you don't like it, get your ass out. And Miguel Cairo was in that same clubhouse the whole time. I know he was giving deference to Tony La Russa as the manager, but also – as the bench coach, I think you should have that type of authority to say, guys, you guys are sucking. You guys need to get your level up. And for it to be lackadaisical all that time before something had to be said, Kenny had to come down one time, and then you have uh, Miguel Cairo coming down. Something was obviously wrong. And so the leadership of the players were probably all right, but the leadership from the coaching staff wasn't there. As you can see, the guys weren't either listening to them or they were telling them the wrong things. And with that 75% thing where go 75%, I know that's the doctors and that's the medical staff. You don't have to follow them all the time, man. It seems like they're hurt 
more because they only went 75%. That's what I was told when I was in high school. You go, you go half-ass, you're going to get hurt more. And this is what the White Sox have done. And the coaching staff is part of that, where they had a slippery slope of telling people going only 75%. Uh, percent, and then you get lackadaisical efforts from time to time from Yoel Moncada, from Luis Robert, from other players not running out balls. When you get a drop third strike, I don't remember many White Sox players running on a drop third strike. They would just go right back to the dugout. That's part of coaching. Well, and two, you mentioned the Kenny Williams talk and the Miguel Cairo talk. Like the, the one thing that really seemed like it stuck with the White Sox was that Miguel Cairo talk in late August, early September. And even the Kenny talk, like they had that talk on Friday and then they lost five to seven of the Tigers um, after losing one to two to Tigers, which I think was the, like the Bo Brisky. Like my, uh, fi- my, my fiance does the, uh, the losing score first. Oh, well, I think, like, what are you in? Are you I think it's because it's the Sox <laughs> website, so they put the Sox score first. She um, does it all the time. Trust like, me, Kate. Me and Steven were talking about this before the game. The winning score always comes first. Right. And, but yeah. I guess because it's the White Sox website, they yeah. put the Sox score first. It makes no sense. Sometimes they'll put the home the home team score last on purpose. It makes no they sense. Win. It irritates yeah, me. Right. Um, real quick, though, I, I just noticed this because you mentioned Joe McEwing, and I, I'm giving the coaching staff an F. Um, really, the only bright spot, I think, is Ethan Katz. I would be disappointed if he wasn't brought next uh, back next year uh, by whatever manager they do hire because I do think he's the brightest spot um, on this coaching staff. And you could see, like, we could note the improvements from Davis Martin. We, I mean, he was a 14th round pick. No one was really expecting Davis Martin to be anything. And now we know Davis Martin's name and, and are considering him for the fifth start uh, starting spot next year. Um, but the improvements with him, the improvements with Dylan Cease, Reynaldo Lopez, Jimmy Lambert, Carlos Rodon last year, like clearly players are being helped by Ethan Katz. Um, and I want to give him all the credit and keep him uh, on the staff. But you mentioned Joe McEwing and getting guys thrown out at home. Mm-hmm. You know who got uh, had the most players thrown out at home this year? I'm going to say an aggressive team like Cleveland. The Chicago Cubs. Oof. So Willie Harris is going to now Will Harris. get all the guys thrown out at home <laughs> and then be the manager for the White Sox. The fans would love that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know about Willie Harris for manager. Um, but let's go to Frank Minichino. Mm-hmm. Last three teams to hit over 1,000 singles in a season, the 2022 White Sox, the 2017 Marlins, and the 2016 Marlins. Hitting coach, Frank Minichino. So I understand that it's tough just to look at those numbers, but a trend's a trend. Like, the last three teams to hit over 1,000 singles was Frank Minichino. Do we think, I mean, we had a little bit of a discussion there that, you know, it's mostly on the hitters, and, and they're listening to, or they're, they're probably not listening to what you're saying, and you gave that great antidote from Tony LaRusso about, you know, how pitchers are always trying to adjust and hitters tune you out. Um, we, we sure none of this is on Frank, or is it all on the players? I mean, the numbers say he has some correlation there. Like, it's... I don't know if he's causing them to hit only singles, but I guess the numbers say that he is this guy. And so if the numbers say it, I would I would put some stock into that. But at the end of the day, he was here last year too, where they hit a bunch of home runs. So in the year prior. Yeah, which is which is true. Which one is gonna be true? The fact that they used to bomb all the time in 2020, 2021, or this year where they had a bunch of singles. I would say they're the more powerful team, but also Frank Minichino can't come back next year because of the performance. Somebody has to take account for how the haters did, and you can't fire all of them. You need to fire somebody. Well, I'll just say this, though. That's that's kind of the point that I'll end up making here, and that's probably why I'm not giving them an F like you guys. You guys look and you go, F. The, the Oh, my God, the coaching staff was so bad. The team was so bad that all the coaches should be fired. Um if the you can't fire the players, right? You can't fire the guys that you have given millions and millions of dollars to to be under contract for years and years. Unless you're um, Dallas Keuchel. Unless you're Dallas Keuchel, right. Um, and I think that uh, people see this as the, the quick solution. Doesn't mean it's the right one. So if the entire coaching staff is gone when they bring in the new manager, then maybe that's a very good thing for this White Sox team. I would just remember this. Remember right now what, what what you guys are saying, what everybody's been saying all year long when it comes to Frank Manichino and Joe McEwing and everybody else. And if they go ahead and lay another egg le- next year, just remember, that's all. I mean, they <laughs> did fire the uh, strength and conditioning coach last year uh, with Alan Thomas, and this year the results were the same, if not worse. Right. And, and I, I mean, that's not on Frank Manichino, but... Uh, no, I'm I, saying that's a, they fired a guy, and they're like, okay, we're being healthy now. No, it'll take years, and Rick even admitted it'll take years for them to implement their system. Well, and the guy that they replaced him with was somebody who's been in the organization for, I think, six years. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's again, another insular hire. Um, well, they got another one down there, hitting coach in uh, 
Triple A. Yeah, but Chris Johnson, I don't know if he, he's like super insular. I don't even think he he ever played with the. the no, Sox he didn't play with the, the Sox, but he's. He's their triple-A hitting their triple Yeah, but is that, is that, that insular? That I mean, is you very just, insular. What do you mean? He works for the team. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, yeah, bring your ass up. Was Ricky oh. Renteria an insular hire as manager? Exactly. He, he was he was signed by the White Sox in a minor league contract in 2019. So and they're like, hey, He was signed smart. and then brought in as a player. So then I'd count it as insular. You know, Miguel Cairo, I wouldn't say that's insular. That's a Tony La Russa hire. No, what are you he talking about? No, he's been the bench oh, wait, coach on. for two years. I'm talking, like, if, if he's hired as the 2023 manager, yes. But I'm saying, like, him... Him on the 2020 staff when he's a first year manager, that's not an. Sure, you're know. correct. Yeah, it wasn't but, then, but whatever. it is now. It, it but just, if he becomes the manager, yes, he would be, <laughs> just like Ricky Renteria was. Right. Oh, boy, I'm talking myself into circles here. Um, <laughs> talking yourself into the ground is what yes, you're doing. Yes, sir. Let's get away from it. Uh, yeah, I, I think final point to you, I think you mentioned, like, you know, give him a failing grade um, in talking about the coaching staff in general, just because, you know, they lost. They won 93 games in 2021. Same group of coaches. I just don't think the messaging was there. I don't think the the we, we hear the fact that the White Sox felt cocky. Like I think you need to set that record straight. It cl- it was clear that they really didn't do that until Miguel Cairo did that in late September or early September when the white you know the players actually grasped onto it. So that's why I give them an F. Just because if there was a little bit more um, urgency, if there was a little bit more of that that pressure to push on them, and maybe if the tone was a little bit stronger, maybe if Miguel Cairo just had to be the bad cop for Tony Larusa and do this in July, maybe that's what the Sox needed. I, I just think the the staff failed them, just because there was the same results each and every night. I well, don't know. I think that I think that's organization wide, and I think everybody that puts on a uniform or puts on a polo and goes into the front office is equally to blame on that very specific point. Um, if you want to go ahead and give one big grade for the Chicago White Sox in 2022, it's an F for that reason. Amen. All right, there we go. I think that's exactly where we should end that. <laughs> Great job by Vinny uh, surmising uh, this this episode. You can follow Vinny on Twitter, at Vinny Duber. He's our CHGO White Sox beat writer. Herb Lawrence is our CHGO White Sox community leader. You can follow him on Twitter, at Eckernwall23. I'm Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter, at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. Thank you to Steven Nicholas for producing our show. Enjoy Fogo to Show. Uh, Fogo to Sean? What is it? It's it's not. Fogo, Fogo de Sean? It's not Fogo de Chow, though. Like, no. you can't, it's spelled Chow. C-H-A-O. Who knows how it's pronounced? I yeah. thought it was like Sean. de Sean, I think it is. <laughs> I don't speak Portuguese. Fogo de Sean. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for hanging out with us in the chat. Did you know I used to think uh, Phil Collins' Invisible Touch was Invisible Talk Show? So I am. How? Well, that's also that's a Genesis. Show. That's a Genesis okay, in general uh, group. All right. yeah. Well, thank you everybody for hanging out with us. Go uh, listen to some Genesis in the chat. Go listen to some Genesis. We'll talk Better to you tomorrow Tusk. here. Uh, what the hell, man? That was unnecessary. <laughs> uh, we'll talk to you here on the CHGO Sports YouTube channel uh, live at 4 p.m. tomorrow. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye.